You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Very good. Excellent. Well, as my wife has said, it's great to be with you here this morning. And uh, I recognise that, uh, that there's another part of Centro down at Collingwood Park that's going to start in 30 minutes or so, and we have to be down there to preach. So I won't, you know, waste a lot of time just rabbiting on. I want to get into it and get on with it. Um, I don't know how many of you um, <clears throat> have ever observed a Christian and thought to yourself, eh, not much difference between them and my non-Christian friends. Now, don't put your hand up or don't point them out. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure you've thought that. I'm sure you've thought to yourself, I see these people and they call themselves Christians, but my next door neighbour lives a better life than they do. Uh, I know all kinds of people who are less selfish. They uh, seem to have more peace. They seem to have more joy than these people that call themselves Christians. If you've ever observed that and asked yourself, why is it so? It doesn't, you know, uh, because we, le- we, we say we believe these high beliefs. You know, we've been singing this morning already about the incredible redemptive work of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that transcends time itself. I mean, you know, we, we contemplate eternal truths. And yet so many people's lives seem just the same as the people who don't um, contemplate the eternal transcendent truth that apparently we have. So why is that? And how can we address it? I want to suggest to you quickly this morning two reasons. The first one, for whatever it's worth, is simply this. I think, number one, we're created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we have a wisdom, a peace, and a joy no matter what human being you're talking about, whether they believe what the Bible says or not, they're created in the image of God and that carries with them a certain dignity, a, a, a certain sense of purpose. And, and then, of course, we are fallen creatures and so there is sin in us and that's worked into our spirit, into our heart all through our lives. And because of that, we are self-centered, whinging, complaining, small-hearted people. And so there's this conflicting, uh, there is this conflicting aspect to us, no matter who we are or what we believe. And so there are people who behave better than their beliefs. And there are people who behave worse than their beliefs because of that reality, because of that, that, that situation. That's number one. And n- number two, and the one I think is a bit more practical, and what I want to talk to you about this morning is, um, is, is, is because it's in our head, but not in our heart, let's be honest. I mean, we talk about love and joy and peace and patience and honesty and courage and humility and gentleness and self-control. And they seem like such marvellous and, and, and wonderful virtues and things that everybody in this room and people who are not in this room ascribe to. And yet they are in our heads probably more than they are in our hearts. Maybe you've looked at someone, you thought, well, they're just a hypocrite. They say they believe this and yet I'll watch them do that. Or maybe worse, maybe you've thought it about yourself. Maybe you've thought to yourself, what's wrong with me? Why do I do that? I shouldn't be doing this. I I shouldn't be struggling with this. I shouldn't be caught up with this. I I, I believe that and yet I'm, I'm, I'm caught up with this. There's a disparity here. I can't understand it. Well, I'm going to explain it to you this morning. So when you leave here, you perhaps I hope you've learned something. 
but that also you'd be able to track your life on a higher trajectory, on a higher plane. Because you see, it's not just about our heads. We need a bridge from our head to our heart. We need to drive the beliefs, the things that we say, the, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the self-control, the forgiveness, these high Christian virtues that so many people in this room have in their heart ahead and would, would vote for and, and say they believe and yet struggle outliving it through their heart because of this, this disconnect between the head and the heart, this lack of congruence. It needs to be bridged. We need to get the thing that's in our head and we need to establish it in our heart. Now, that is called, that bridge is called spiritual disciplines. I'm going to explain this to you so you understand. Uh, as a Christian, there are numerous things that we do that, that, that show the fact that we are disciples. They're disciplines. And we do them systematically. We do them prolifically. We do them because they drive truth from your head to your heart. How do you drive truth from your head to your heart? And the answer is through disciplines, through practices. Um, imagine, if you will, this massive rock that's got to be moved so we can put a road or a railway through. And so they get dynamite. And they don't just put the dynamite around the front of the, the rock and then detonate it. If they did that, they might damage the rock, but they're not going to move the rock. What they do is they drill a hole deep down into the centre of the rock. They stuff all of the explosives into that centre. And then, boom, the rock blows into smithereens. You can put the road through, the train tracks through or whatever, and life moves on. Things change. What I want to suggest to you is that the disciplines that you practice are, as a Christian are like the drilling of that uh, hole in the rock. The explosives are your beliefs. As those beliefs find their way down deep into who you are, eventually, boom, your life will change. And you'll find yourself stepping over things that once upon a time you couldn't climb over. You'll find yourself ascribing to things that once upon a time you struggled with and not struggling with things that you thought were so part of your past, you'd never be rid of them. The answer is developing spiritual disciplines. Now, the one I want to talk to you about this morning is I think the first of all spiritual disciplines, and we've been practicing it this morning, and I want to talk to you about it so firstly you understand it, secondly you know how to do it so you can be more purposeful about it. There are numerous spiritual disciplines, and to be really honest with you, um, I think the Christian church is going to have to become more disciplined in the future than it's been in the past, because there's going to become a greater divide between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness in the next five to ten years, mark my words. And if we do not understand our spiritual disciplines, and if we don't practice our spiritual disciplines, then what's going to happen is that we're going to miss the ultimate that God has for us. Because when your disciplines wander, your heart starts to follow. To keep your heart humble and your faith strong, there are certain things that you have to practice on a systematic basis. Because they are, as I said, drilling the hole in the rock of your heart so that your beliefs can go down there and boom, change your behaviour. Change who you are. The practice that I want to talk about this morning is worship. 
Because worship is, is cornerstone to the Christian. Worship is about who we are. Uh, why do we worship? Well, we, we worship because worship carries truth from the head to the heart. I've explained that. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 95 because Psalm 95, I think, is the best place to go to understand what worship is uh, and how it's done. What it is and how it's done. We, there is singing that engages our imagination, our voice, our bodies. Uh, you're reacting to your beliefs, even in your heart. You're starting to feel it. That we study the word, we're doing that this morning. It engages the whole person. In the Psalms 95, and I could read the whole Psalm to you, but for the sake of time this morning, I'm just going to read a few verses, but by all means, please go home and read the whole of Psalm 95. It's not that long. But verse 2 says, Come, let us, uh, let us come before him with thanksgiving, extol him with music and song. Verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Verse 7b and 8 says, Today... Uh, if only you will hear your voice and not harden your heart as you did in Meribah and, and Manasseh in the wilderness. So um, there are three aspects of it. You can divide the psalm into three groups, which we've just done. Uh, I, I dropped some verses out simply for time's sake. But what I want you to see is this, is that worship ascribes ultimate value to an object engaging your mind, will and emotions. Your emotions, singing and shouting and jumping and, and rejoicing. Uh, your will, I'm submitting, I'm bowing. That's talking about submitting what, what in me has to change. And then your mind, I'm understanding, I'm learning something. Uh, I'm growing in my appreciation. And when you apply those three things to your mind on a system, uh, to your life, I should say, not just to your mind, but to your life, on a systematic basis, you see the beauty of God. But not just the beauty of God. You have to see the beauty of God. It's not just about systematic truth. It's not just about, okay, well, you should believe this. It's about falling in love with a person. You must see the beauty that is God, who Jesus is. But then there's got to be this submission. Okay, but look at me. What in me has to change? What, what, what in me do I have to submit? How do I need to bow? But then I have to learn. It's not just about jumping up and down, yelling and shouting and waving my hands. <laughs> There's some solid truth that I've got to comprehend and understand. And those three things have got to flow together. And that's what we see happening here. Um, can I suggest to you that worship takes the entire person, your mind, your will, and your emotion, and ascribes ultimate value to something. Now, there are two ideas in that psalm, and I, uh, you, you, when you go home and study it, um, that really enacted, that really initiated the worship. One is in, um, one's in verse 2, for the Lord is great, and the other is in verse 6, for he is our shepherd God. And the author was contemplating and thinking about in his mind how great God was, and he got the picture of a shepherd. The one who leads and guides beside the still waters. The one who provides and protects. And that's how he saw God. And that was his understanding of God. As he contemplated who God was, he saw God in this new light and it enacted a sense of emotional response to who he is. And that's what we all must enjoy or we all must go for on a regular, ongoing basis. 
in the Ten Commandments, which you all have heard about, everyone's heard of the Ten Commandments, the first and the second commandment are all about worship. There's a good reason for this, folks, because you worship. See, some people say, oh, I don't worship anything. I don't worship anybody. You know, I'm not religious. <laughs> um, God holds no room for the fact that you worship nothing. Everybody worships something. And verses 1 and 2, or the first two of the uh, Ten Commandments, are all about worshipping God. Because God knows He created you as a being to worship Him. Now what the devil's going to do is what he's going to subtly shift your focus so that you worship something or somebody or, 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 uh, or some other thing. Um, and everybody, as I said, worships something. Everybody builds their lives, their hopes, ascribes ultimate value to something or somebody. And it can be a person. Um, you can look at a person and be totally overwhelmed by them. Your whole senses break down when that person uh, comes into the room. You're... Uh, you're starstruck. I don't know if you've ever been starstruck by somebody. I remember being starstruck by somebody when I was about 15 years of age. And this particular guy should have won the Brownlow Medal for the AFL, but he was injured for a few weeks. He was like you know, the greatest player in, in the AFL at the time. And I ran into him and he came into this in my work and bought some, um, a bag of oats off me. That's a long story and it doesn't matter. But anyhow, <laughs> and I'm carrying this 50 kilo bag of oats on my, on my back to the car, you know. And, uh, and he came up behind me to help me because here's this young bloke with this 100, you know, 100 pound weight on his back. I'll, I'll help him. This bloke was a, an elite athlete, to say the least. So he comes up behind me and he grabs you know, the back of the sack and I turn around, I look at him and I, and I say to him, are you such and such? And he said, I am. And I nearly fell over, you know, like the guys in the garden. <laughs> when Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said, I am, I literally nearly fell over. Uh, because I was so struck by the presence of this person that I had watched and read about. And, you know, I, I knew everything about him. And now I am here in his presence. And I'm awestruck. Um, maybe, I, I was listening to, um, to Ian Dixon. You know, Dicko from the Australian Idol, say once. And he said this. He said, we're looking for somebody that the girls want to be with and the boys want to be. Or the other way around, you know. <laughs> the boys want to be with and the girls want to be. We're looking for somebody who's going to captivate the minds of people and you just go, man, well, what would they do? Um, and this happens in careers. You know, well, she's like, what would so-and-so do, do now? Uh, I wonder what she would do in this situation. I wonder how she would handle this. And you find yourself thinking about a person, this ascribing value to somebody or to something. You might think about, well, you know, if only I had X amount of money. If only I had that career. If only I had that income, then I could do this and this and this. And you can find yourself captivated by the possibility of winning the lotto. And, and, and what this is doing, it's eating into your heart. It's taking your focus and you're starting to believe that these things answer the longing of my heart. And to be frank with you, that's what worship actually is. It comes from an English phrase and it means this, worth shape, worth shape. That's what worship is. Worship is what, is what you consider to be worthy enough to shape your life. That's what worship is. And that's why we've got to worship God. 
because there's nothing or there's nobody worthy as God is to shape your life. You see, if you feel that you're a loser, if you feel that you're a bad person, if you feel that you don't belong here, if you feel like you're letting the team down again, I'll tell you, you're not a loser, you're not a bad person, you're just worshipping the wrong thing. It's as simple as that. That's the answer to every problem that you face. Every anxiety, every issue. It comes down to this one thing. That's why it's the number one commandment. Worship God. Because when you worship something else, eventually joy starts to fade. Eventually patience starts to wear. And eventually your victory starts to slide. You are created to worship God and anything else is going to sell you short. Imagine a woman who um, inherits some jewellery from her mother. Her mother has passed. She goes, oh, that's nice. She puts it on the sideboard there beside her bed and kind of forgets about it, you know. A few years later, they're moving and she finds this jewellery. Oh, that's right. Mum left that to me. Oh, isn't that that's sweet? I wonder what it's worth. And so she goes to a, a jeweller and she puts it down on the, on the counter and she says to the jeweller, um, could you examine this for me, please, and give me an estimate of what you think it might be worth? Well, the jeweller, jeweller picks it up and he, he's a little bit taken by it because he knows something about it. He goes into the back room, he gets online, he gets a couple of his colleagues around him and he says, I think this is that. And, and they, do, they do some research, he's captivated by it, right? I mean, this is shaping his life because he's starting to realise the value of what this piece of jewellery is this woman had. But this woman had no idea. She just thought it had sentimental value from her mother. She didn't realise that it was worth an absolute fortune. And the jeweller's in the back office talking to his friend saying, man, this this piece of jewellery is worth more than all the jewellery we've ever sold from this shop. And he's getting excited and he's starting to throw up at the mouth. He can't believe what's in his hand because he knows the value of it. And guess what he's about to do? He's about to go out and evangelize. (laughs) He's about to go out and tell this woman the value of what she has in her hand. He's about to go out and say to her, you are more ignorant than you know and more more wealthy than you've ever hoped for. And that's the word of the Lord for you this morning as well, by the way. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you. You're more ignorant than you know and more wealthy than you hope for. (laughs) Because that's true. If you knew what was in your sideboard, the Bible, the word of God, right beside your bed there, if you knew what was there, (laughs) it would captivate your whole being and you couldn't wait to get up in the morning to read it. It wouldn't be about checking a few apps or checking Facebook or whatever first of all. You'd be like, I'm going to just grab that Bible. I'm going to get into that. That's full of so much value. That's going to add so much to my life. I'm so, I'm so ingrained in it. I'm so connected to it because I know the value of it. The problem is we ascribe value to so many other things. And at best, we're inconsistent. And at the worst, Some might even think that they're at times hypocrites. That's why if you have trouble loving your neighbour, right? Let me take it a bit further. If you have trouble loving your spouse, let me get right to the point. (laughs) Forget your (laughs) neighbour. Then it's not about changing their behaviour. It's about changing what you worship. If you have trouble telling the truth, 
It's not about well, finding a different career where there's not so much temptation to lie. It's about changing what you worship. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever you define as your own sense of, well, I'm a loser, well, I'm a loss, I'm just so broken in that area. It's not about altering the external circumstances of your life. The problem is something has found its way into your heart and it might be your reputation, it might be your career, it might be your financial nest egg, it might be your family, it might be your health. How many of those people worship their health? Right? They go to a gym, you know, 24 hours a day and sit in front of the mirror and just look at themselves and, and, and they're constantly, constantly contemplating. I could have bigger this, I could have a smaller that, I could change that. And, and, and literally they're worshipping themselves. They're totally obsessed by it. And, and people constantly thinking about money, daydreaming about money. If only I had more money, I could do this. And if I had that money, you know, they're constantly daydreaming about money. Where does your mind go when there's nothing specific to draw it? That's what you worship. And that's the foundation of every issue that you face in your life. It's not the fact that people are annoying. It's not the fact that your neighbor's dog won't shut up. It's that you worship the wrong thing. (laughs) That's the problem. But this is so subtle. And I'm not casting rocks at anybody. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you get a bit of a leave pass here because... uh, You know, if you're not a Christian, how can you worship God? But if you're not a Christian and you're here, can I just suggest to you that you worship something? You might find that hard. You might go, well, no, I don't. Well, yes, you do. You're drawing your value from something or somebody. And that is the the foundation to every issue in your life. We are created to draw our foundation, to draw our value from God. So, why do we worship? Well, we worship to drive these lofty truths that we ascribe to from here to here. What is it? It's that meditating. It's that ascribing that ultimate value. My ultimate identity comes from this. And everything else is throth and bubble, as um, Paul described it as dross, as, as, as rubbish, as waste in comparison. So, how's it done? Let me share this with you and and I'll get out of your way and we can open up this altar and you can come for prayer and you can change the things in your heart that you've been worshipping in a minute. But uh, this is how it's done. There there are two keys in this passage in um, Psalm uh, Psalm 95 that you need to take away. Uh, Corporately and systematically. Corporately and systematically. Let let me deal with corporately first. Psalms is full of let us worship. Let come, let us bow down. Come, let us worship. You'll be flat out finding a psalm where an individual is called to worship. There's something collective and powerful when we come together. C.S. Lewis makes the observation. He says that each friend of mine, there is something that only another friend can bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to activate the whole man. He said, now that Charles is dead, I'll never see Ron's reaction to a specific Charles joke again. And you've seen it, haven't you? You've been with someone close to you and someone else come and they said something to that person that you never knew about themselves because that person drew it out of them. So the reason why we need to worship God together is because none of us are big enough to comprehend all of God by ourselves. But as we comprehend God corporately, we actually get more of God, not less of God. If that's the case for an individual, how much more is that the case when it comes to God? We must come 
corporately together. We don't say, well, I don't want to get COVID or, you know, I'm happy to watch online or whatever, whatever. Frankly, at some point, we're going to get past excuses and we've got to worship corporately. Come, let us worship and bow down. It's got to be done together, number one. And number two, systematically. The first five verses are all about praise, their emotional response to God. The middle part is about submission. Then it's listening to God's word. Praise, confession, and hearing his grace. That's the system. Praise, confession, and hearing his grace. And that's kind of like what we did here today. That's kind of like what happens almost in every church. It, it, it wasn't invented by Brian Houston. You know, it wasn't invented by, by some pastor. This is what we'll do. Let's come and sing up-tempo songs and then let's do more slower songs and then let's preach. Well, why do we do that? Read Psalm 95. That's where it comes from. There's a systematic, there's a reason for it. There is this emotional response to who God is. There is this internal searching. Okay, well, because of that, I need to do this. Then there's a hearing and an understanding of His grace, corporately and systematically. I want to say to you this morning, when you realise <laughs> the piece of jewellery that you are to God. I use the illustration about, you know, the expensive piece of jewellery in the jeweller shop. That's you in God's hands. God is captivated. Man, he sent his own son to pay the price for you. When you realize how much God is captivated by you, when you understand his grace to you, that motivates your captivation of him. You don't have to do this because if you don't, you'll be a naughty boy and girl and go to hell. <laughs> so this, this is not about some kind of um, routine, ritual, rules. This is, this is about understanding who He is and what He's done for us and allowing that to grow in our hearts every day because as that grows, that surpasses and supplants all the nonsense and all the rubbish and all the loss and all the lack of value and all the stuff, and the, the, the sense of, of, of personal uh, value that, that you lack. All of that gets pushed to one side and, and repl replaced by the presence of God. We stand together. We can stand together. Father, we recognise we live in a world that's constantly, constantly demanding our attention and constantly putting forward to us ideas of things and of people that we should be like. Things that have worth that should shape us. Things that we should worship. God, as we come to this place today and as we lean into your, the grace of your word, as we come to a moment of submission, a moment of where we bow our will to you, Search our hearts. See where those things have crept in almost with subtle stealth behind our, our intention and have taken the affection of our hearts. In the beginning of here, 2023, 20, we turn our attention, we turn our affection to you because of all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. In Je Thank you for listening to this podcast.